Hello, my name is EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor of AdAge, and welcome to the latest edition of the Marketer's Brief Podcast. We have a special edition for you today. We are all working from home like the rest of the nation as we deal with the coronavirus pandemic. I'm happy to be joined by two of my colleagues from AdAge, Adrian Pascarelli and Jessica Wall. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so just sort of going over what we've noticed in how the marketing industry is responding to coronavirus, how it is affecting the daily lives of the companies we cover, and also possibly looking for some signs of of what's to come. So let's start out. Jessica, you've been following what's happening with restaurants. It's obviously been a major, major developing story. Places closing. Uh, going drive-through only. What what are you seeing out there? Yeah, it's a crazy time for restaurants right now, EJ. I think restaurants are one of the most hard-hit industries, particularly when you think about restaurants that can't do drive-through or carry-out. And we could talk a bit about the chains that are, you know, pretty much all now completely carry-out and delivery and drive-through. Most notably, McDonald's, Starbucks, chains like that. But the major problems exist for the smaller restaurants, those that can't do carry out, or if they do, would tend to do carry out in office areas. Right now, those those parts of the markets are just shut down. I mean, I haven't been downtown in Chicago in, in many days. I know you haven't been downtown either. People aren't at those areas to do takeout or carry out, even if a white tablecloth restaurant were to offer it. So it's a particularly hard time for those guys. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind from a marketing front is any restaurant chain that had big plans tied to something like March Madness now doesn't have that place to advertise. So that's another thing to consider. Yeah, I mean, that's affecting everyone. The, the entire sports marketplace has just shut down, obviously. And uh, a lot of these brands, I mean, the whole spring marketing calendar is based on these media buys. And now, you know, it's been removed. Yeah, and it's not just the media buys, it's also the experiential aspect to it. Buffalo Wild Wings in particular had this big plan for its restaurant in Chicago to make it basically a, a B&B, right? So they were going to have bunk beds and you could stay overnight, win a stay overnight to stay next to the Buffalo Wild Wings to be able to wake up in the morning and watch March Madness all day. All of that has to be scrapped. Uh, campaigns like that, even on a smaller level, all of them has to be scrapped and these chains are scrambling to figure out what to do. Uh, you're seeing some restaurant trouble before this even began. So it's just exacerbated at a level that people haven't seen before. You see plenty of references, uh, and conversations I've had with people in the restaurant industry to how much worse could it be than nine 11? Well, it, it's really bad. How much worse could it be than the recession? It's even worse than than the recession that we saw that began in 2008. So restaurants are really struggling. Um, you're seeing some proactive signs of, of shutting down restaurants. Danny Myers, uh, Union Square Hospitality Group, announced that it was closing down its high-end restaurants. But then Shake Shack, which was started also by Danny Meyer, is a separate company now. It's a publicly traded company, and it's already facing struggles. And on a uh, day earlier this week, it already said that it was withdrawing its guidance for 2020. We're not even through March, and the company's already withdrawing its financial guidance for the year. Adrian, you, you've been covering the, the retail sector, and uh, I feel like every morning, you know, we wake up and another big major retailer announces they're closing all their stores. I should mention, um, we're tracking all this on adage.com. We've, we've got, we've launched a 
a blog that we're basically updating almost you know hourly on kind of what we're hearing uh, going out there. And of course, we're doing our own coverage across our website. We're, we've got an, we've started an industry tracker a couple of weeks ago as this was really starting to happen, tracking all the events that have been canceled. I think the easiest thing to say is basically everything is canceled right now. Uh, but Adrian, what are you seeing out there? Right. I think any stores that haven't announced closures or aren't planning to close later this week, they're in the minority. Um, just right before uh, before this uh, podcast, we heard from Macy's. Um, they recently said that they were closing. Uh, a lot of the closures are for two weeks, which seems optimistic. I uh, would love it if um, in two weeks everything is, is better. Um, some brands are taking... Uh, perhaps more realistic approach. Uniqlo said they're, they're closed until further notice. Um, this comes after last week when the communications from brands was all about extra cleaning and sanitation, maybe some shortened hours. Uh, now it's full on closures with everything being canceled. So it's, it's a lot of trouble. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the um, interesting part of all this is just literally the stuff changing by the hour and a lot of this being forced by government. Um, you know, I think the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, has been taking a, um, in a um, particularly aggressive stances. I mean, he sort of led the charge on closing things. Um, a lot of states followed his lead, though. I, I don't think it's isolated to Ohio at this point. I mean, pretty much every state right, and city exactly. has set some kind of lockdown or shutdown plan in place. Uh, I think the only thing that's open at the moment in Chicago, and that's only for a matter of time, are the libraries. And here in New York, in Westchester, uh, our libraries are closed. So um, obviously that's been difficult, especially for, for those who have children and those children need new books to read or don't have money for new books and that kind of thing. Malls um, have also, we're already, as we all know, we've been reading that story for what, two decades now, malls are in trouble. Um, now this may be the final nail in the coffin for, for shopping centers. Uh, even before the um, the coronavirus picked up in earnest the last couple of weeks, I think uh, Corsite Research, a firm that covers uh, the retail industry, they surveyed the public. This was about uh, mid to late February, they found that nearly a third of people said that they were avoiding public areas like shopping centers already for fear of uh, the coronavirus germs. And those that percentage is obviously much higher now, especially with most malls closing. A few have, have chosen to remain open at this point. So let's try to spin this forward if we can. Um, we obviously, we we we're not um, in the business of predicting what's going to happen with the virus, but you know we cover marketing. What are you guys noticing right now in terms of how brands might be able to try to get ahead of this? You know, there there could be some winners and losers at the end of this. I think that basically anyone that can find a way to um, tap into consumer loyalty is 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 going to be the you know winners here. People that can. Um, you know, it's kind of become a cliche over the last couple of years in the marketing industry is, you know, being a purpose brand or, you know, building loyalty with your consumers. But I really feel like this is this is a moment where that's going to be tested. Um, we've seen a couple of responses so far on, you know, on some of my the beats that I cover on the automotive sector. Ford basically admit, you know, they, they kind of gave a reality check and realized, you know, we don't want to be running ads right now about sales events or new vehicles coming out. So they literally pulled all their national ads that had to do with vehicles and put up two new ads that, um, you know, were created in a matter of a couple of days that talked about what they're doing in the response, you know, to respond to coronavirus. You know, they're 
um, making some changes with the Ford credit, but, you know, giving some payment deferrals to people. Obviously, that intent there is to keep some of the car purchases coming. They've also done some philanthropic things as well. Um, Guinness, you know, this is we're recording this on Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day. Guinness, um, you know, over the re- weekend, obviously realized that St. Patrick's Day celebrations, many of them occur the weekend before um, St. Patrick's Day in big cities like Chicago, New York. They obviously realized it wasn't going to be the same, so they scrapped their original plans, came out, you know, turned around an ad quickly with kind of a unifying, inspirational message called, you know, We Will March Again, which is, uh, you know, a um, reference to the St. Patrick's Day parades. Um, What else are you guys seeing out there that's happening? Well, I think some of the winners and retail will be those that were already, to some extent, winning um, Target, Walmart, these kinds of curbside pickup uh, through um, through this hardship, and and then after that, as you said, um, consumers will be more loyal. Perhaps if if they didn't already have a, a Target, weren't already part of the Target loyalty program, they certainly will be now. And I don't expect that to change once all this is over. Um, a lot of the communications now that the stores are closed is kind of around this work from home idea. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, Brands pushing people to their websites to to go through e-commerce, um, things around loungewear, um, what to wear at home, stay cozy and fleece, that kind of those kinds of messaging um, in an attempt for some normalization of what uh, everyone is doing, which is working from home. Um, and then uh, a lot of fitness brands and, and things, cosmetics brands are also uh, directing to apps, doing virtual classes. Um Peloton had a, had a discount on on yoga classes. Maybe that'll be more like a family yoga for some families. I think. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. That how much of this behavior that's going to be ingrained, you know, for the next however long, will be behavior that is continues, right? If um, people realize, oh, you know what, I can do that exercise class from home. Um, a lot of those brands probably don't make as much money on that doing it that way. And they're going to have to come, you know, convince people why it makes sense to come back into the fitness center or come back into the restaurant. Um, that's definitely going to be something to, to watch as we come out of this. Um, Jessica, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, restaurant behavior is going to be changing rapidly over the next few weeks. If you think about people who have it ingrained in them to stop at Starbucks on the way to work or pull up to a McDonald's or a Dunkin' drive through even if they're offering those things and they're pushing out those notifications to their customers, if you're not in the mood to leave your house, or if you've been told not to leave your house, you can't go get that cup of coffee or that egg McMuffin or that donut, no matter how much you might want it. So once you get used to not being able to do that, do you really return to that behavior quickly? Uh, Some of the chains have had the opportunity to see what happened in China. Obviously, Thousands of restaurants closed across China when coronavirus was spreading more rapidly there in the beginning of the year. But there were restaurants that were open and contactless delivery and contactless takeout and carryout became the norm very quickly there. So the operators that have overseas operations had a guide to what to do quickly in the United States. You saw Starbucks, for example, come out really early with, here's what we're going to be able to do in our restaurants. But the ingrained behavior, it, time will tell what happens. I, you know, 
I've been making my coffee at home the past few days. I always make a cup of coffee at home and then have a cup of coffee at work. That's usually my my MO, but now I just make a bigger pot of coffee at home and that's fine. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how much business restaurants can can resume once things get back to whatever our new normal is going to be. And I think it might be worth noting too that in the future, people, consumers will have less disposable income to spend on a cup of coffee out. And if they're already conditioned to be making it at home, that's certainly cheaper. Absolutely. The other thing is you're seeing a lot of, we talked about loyalty a little bit earlier. You're seeing so many emails from brands trying to calm consumers or remind consumers that they exist. And some of them might resonate with consumers. Some of them might be off-putting. How many you know reminders do you need from a restaurant that it's offering free delivery or discounted delivery or something like that? At some point, people are going to tune those messages out and they've lost those customers. There's an air of desperation in all the communication that brands are putting out to, to customers right now, because I think they just, they don't know what to do. Talking about learned behaviors too, or ingrained behaviors too, we, you know, when we're all sitting here working from home. <laughs> Should have apologized at the beginning of this in case you hear a barking dog or a child, um, like most of the country, right? We're working from home. And if you think about this is also happening inside marketing departments, I'm wondering, you know, if, if some of these marketing departments figure out, oh, you know what, we are actually able to do pretty well in this arrangement. Maybe something, you know, maybe this is something we want to consider in the future, give some more flexibility. I think that that trend was already on the rise a little bit, but it'll be interesting to watch to see how much of that continues. And of course, at ad agencies as well, you know, they're struggling. They were struggling before this crisis. You know, they're some of their most expensive costs are real estate. Most of them are in these big cities. You know, there's been a lot of consolidating happening already, you know, do they suddenly realize, you know, okay, we can actually save a little bit more money, have less space, have more people work from home. The flip side of that is, you know, this is going to really put a, really test how, you know, the value of also human interaction, which is of course important too. Um, that's definitely something we'll be watching. And then I, just a huge part of this is how are they going to get the work done that you can't do from home, like shooting ads? Um, you know, I was talking to, to Ford yesterday about their coronavirus response campaign. And, you know, um, in the course of that interview, you know, he was talking, the direct marketing director I was speaking with was talking about, yeah, they were trying to get our work, their work done for the rest of the year. They were just doing a shoot last weekend and they realized, you know, as of Saturday, they kind of had to pare down the, the staff to like mission critical, um, people, um, that's happening all over the place. Um, we've seen campaigns, pulled, delayed, left and right. Um, and these are things that can't be turned off and on in, in a matter of days, right? These are things that take a while to get started. Sure. And you're also seeing it when it comes to what they want retailers to stock. If you think about what marketers had planned for the year, take the Natural Products Expo, Expo West, which was supposed to take place in, in Anaheim in March, got canceled at the very last minute. And that's where a lot of food brands either launch new products or look for smaller ba- brands that they can buy and then sell into retailers like Walmart or Target. Those conversations can happen virtually, but it's quite different. And you can't come across something the way that you would if you were browsing the aisles at a trade show. And retailers have been dealing with with sourcing issues long before a lot of uh, this coronavirus hit the other industries because a lot of them are still sourcing from China. 
So they were feeling this, you know, early January, it's been hitting them hard and that'll be delayed in the, the spring shipments um, for, for people to buy um, summer stock. Um, of course, if no one's going outside, they may not really need a lot of new clothes. And again, that goes back to the um, less disposable income for things like apparel and, and shoes, which we'll certainly see more of or less buying of. Jessica, you said something earlier I want to zero in on a little bit, and you're talking about Starbucks' experience. And I'm just sort of wondering, as I was listening to you explain how, <clears throat> how they learned from what happened in China, do you think that these big global multinational companies might have a little bit of an advantage here for that reason? Absolutely. They have a guidebook that they can use and bring over to other countries pretty rapidly. Starbucks in particular, because it owns its stores, it's not franchised, it's not heavily franchised like the McDonald's or KFCs or other chains out there. So they can, you know, send a virtual guide to all of their shops immediately telling them these are the steps that you need to take. Earlier this week, you saw Starbucks across the country pull their chairs out of the restaurants, do things like that, that send a signal to their customers. And you could see that happening at smaller chains as well. I get plenty of emails from local businesses here that are saying we're only doing carry out or delivery, and here's how you can order from us and all of these types of things. But the big guys can get it done quickly and they have the money to make the changes that need to be made. So whether that's stocking up on more cleaning supplies or being able to pay workers who have to stay home because they're sick, that's another huge, huge issue for restaurants and retailers. You can't have anybody in your stores right now who's with customers who has the slightest bit of a sniffle or a cough. So if you can't pay those workers and you lay them off or you let them go in some other way, you don't have the staff to even handle the reduced level of business that you're seeing right now. Do you think that these global, big global brands also will have the benefit of being diverse geographically? And by that, I mean, you know, we're, we're starting to see some hope in China right now. And so a company like Starbucks then might now suddenly be seeing their U.S. business drop off if things start coming back. In other places that are that are sort of further ahead in the wave on this, that might help replace some of the lost revenue in in countries yeah. like the United States that are sort of at the beginning of this. It is interesting. I mean, you're seeing things coming out of Starbucks that are sort of mixed signals from different parts of the world. This week, we saw them close down the roasteries. The biggest roastery in the world is here in Chicago, and they had to shut down because that's an experiential flagship shopping experience. People can't go do that right now, especially if the government is saying limit size, you know, large size groups and things like that. But at the same time, last week, Starbucks announced a new roasting facility in China. So things are moving on in China. The, the companies that are in China and had to deal with the fallout there got hammered. There's no way to sugarcoat it. They got hammered in China, but they're already back in business in China. So they have that business to rely on right now while the U.S. is struggling, just as they had the U.S. business to rely on when China was struggling. What other um, creative responses have we seen? Um, we've talked about the, you know, just today we were writing about, you know, some of the grocery stores opening up, you know, senior only hours. Are those things, do you think, going to benefit them in the long run, the things that you can do to show that you care? If, if they can do it right, yeah. If they have the stuff in stock, that's the other thing. It's great to have senior shopping hours, but if you don't have the medicines and the foods that the seniors want to shop for, 
then you've, you've maybe played it too quickly. I'm not sure how that's going to all play out. Right. A lot of the hours are at the beginning of the day, like um, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., either an hour earlier than opening or right when they open, because it gives um, the grocers a chance to, to restock. Uh, personally, uh, my parents, who are um, in their 70s, wouldn't want me to say so, but it's true. They uh, are live in upstate New York, and they went to their stop and shop at 6 a.m. this morning, and they reported that most of what they had, including produce, some medication, was in stock. One thing I want to keep in mind is while we are celebrating St. Patrick's Day today, and I will be having corned beef tonight because I bought it earlier, uh, and it's and it's smelling really good right now. Not that we have smell a vision on the podcast, but. Um, one thing to keep in mind also is Easter, Passover, other gatherings that are coming up. Uh, these are often big times for restaurants. There are huge times for grocery stores and the industries are under so much pressure right now. Those added pressures of people deciding what to do. Can you get together with some people for Easter? Can you get together and, and have a Passover Seder? Those are the kinds of things that retailers are struggling with too, because they have stocked up on that stuff you know, well in advance or ordered that stuff well in advance. Adrian, two stories you you've posted earlier in the week on edage.com. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about, first of all, the cruise industry, obviously just devastated. I mean, they were the first ones really in the U S that it was obvious, right? Things were not going to be normal. Um, what did you learn about that industry and how it can come back? Uh, well, the famous line from, from that story was that it may take, um, It'll take a miracle for cruise lines to recover in under a decade. Um, so we're talking about, you know, the next 10 years, 2030, if they recover at all. I think the, the large problem with the cruise line industry is a problem that was happening before the virus hit. And that's that they are primarily, um, the people who are primarily attracted to cruise lines usually are, are older people. So they were kind of already suffering from a perception problem in, in attracting millennials and, and younger consumers. And now with this kind of backlash, it's way worse than the norovirus or anything like that. This is really devastating for for that industry. They've um, started to re, re-examine their cancellation policies, offering rescheduling, that kind of thing, um, up until some of them until 2021. The end of 2021, you can um, reschedule a, a booked cruise for uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if if that'll help or if this will be a stain, a blemish on their that industry for, as we said, another ten years. And the other thing you covered um, for us recently was taking a look at the events business, right, and how possibly we'll see m- more stuff done virtually. But you kind of got some advice on how to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, last last week, um, last couple weeks with with South by Southwest and in a lot of other events, um, conferences, they've announced that they'll be streaming, that they're, they're going digital. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, of, there's so many directions you can go in um, to, to move to virtual. And I think it really just depends on how many people you're trying to reach and what kind of production facilities you have. Um, if you're able to, to team up with a larger vendor and kind of offer a more professional studio type approach, um, that's great, but also it seems like people, there's a real appetite just for, for content, um, and that just involves a, a web camera 
and speaking clearly. You mentioned South by Southwest. That sort of gives you an indication of, of how far this thing has progressed in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it was, we were writing about that, I think, the day that our magazine was closing and, it, you know, the Friday a couple of weeks ago is when South by Southwest, after resisting, you know, for days, finally decided to, to, to cancel it. And, you know, of course, we had to tear up the front page and redo our story. But if you look back on that, and obviously that was a no-brainer at this point. I mean, the idea that that was even under debate at this point is it's pretty interesting just to kind of put it all into perspective. Um, but unless you guys have anything else, I think we're going to end it here and uh, remind our listeners that we will be covering this hourly, daily on adage.com. It's, of course, all that we're um, talking about right now, like the rest of the nation. Um, And we'll be back next week for another edition of the Marketer's Brief podcast. I want to thank our producer, Max Sternlich. I want to thank Adrian Pasquarelli and Jessica Wall for joining us today. This is EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor of Adage. And tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you.